Gateway of India Happiness is found when you stop comparing yourself to other people. Anonymous Time, 7pm It was an ordinary day at the Gateway of India, with its usual daily hustle-bustle. But this very ordinariness made every day extraordinary in the evenings, because of this place and the people thronging here. Time stood almost still here, and moments hung suspiciously. The sound of sea waves crashing against the rocks at the waterfront, overlooking the Arabian Sea, drowned the commotion. The girls brought their high notes to join the muffled sound of the surf at rocks. These looked for their good times on the far side of this iconic structure, and so did the Mumbaikers. Gateway of India, the heartthrob of Mumbai, was erected to commemorate the landing of King Emperor George V and Queen Empress Mary in December 1911 at Apollo Bandar, Mumbai, then Bombay. They were the first British monarch to visit India. At that time, this triumphal arch was made of cardboard and later a basalt structure was completed in 1924. It was called a symbol of conquest and colonization, commemorating the British colonial legacy. In its etymological irony, the colonization was due until post-independence when the city rose in standing in the newly formed sovereign of India and became the economic and cultural hub. Incidentally, it was also the monument from where the last British troops left India in 1948 after the independence. The monument was the soul of Mumbai, bringing cool Arabian sea wind from underneath the arc to pervade over the city. The arena reflected the lives of the people of Mumbai, cutting across the social class, creed or colour. It surely was a place for people to prowl from all spheres walks of life to unwind spatially in the evenings. People flowed like a river, never stopping for obstacles, but swirling around them. At this place, one could be anyone or perhaps no one at all. The hawkers were shouting on top of their voices to catch hold of anyone's attention who was taking his wallet out. Children tucked their mother's hands for balloons. Jewelers were queuing up at Golgappa stall, and photographers and pedicurists were soliciting services. Young couple were necking each other at a lonely corner bench, and elderly couple were sharing the last few years of their life and bailed from one plate. All this and many more myriad manifestations of life were being staged daily. Only the characters on the stage kept on changing. Yet, for a keen observer, extraordinary could come out of this routine. Every passerby was a person with unique human traits, with a life full of laughter, tragedy, envy or pride. Yet somehow, everyone was distracted, hurrying and their eyes cast it down. The crowd had a life of its own, the vibrant clothes shone in the evening light, and the people moved like enchanting shoals of fish. There was chatter between Sellers and buyers, old friends catching up and new friendships growing. It was busy for sure, but the hustle-bustle brought life to the city that was an integral part of its existence in Mumbai. Malkan was there in the queue, restive for the Panipuri. It was after a long time that he could afford to bring his family here. The last time was after his marriage when he tried to impress his wife, Taya. She hailed from a rural background and was a simpleton. 
Yet she was intelligent, intelligent enough not to coax or compel him to buy her worldly possessions, in spite of her moments of temptations. They knew his financial restraint. Yet she never let it show on her face, even if it was there in her heart. Their son Ravi was also with them, holding her hand firmly. When the swell of the crowd moved, they had to also, and if their feet failed to keep up, they risked being trampled. This was a big place, and too many people were around. The child feared he might get lost and pulled himself closer to her. At the same time, Daya felt Ravi might be lured towards a hawker and held his hand in a tight grip. The child was eyeing for balloons. She looked at her husband, and he nodded approvingly. They bought him a balloon, not the largest one, but most colorful one. It was the prettiest balloon Ravi had ever seen in his life. He became so absorbed that he extricated his hands from her mother's clutch and dashed away to the stairs to give his balloon a free space. She had always persuaded her husband only to spend on the bare necessities. Though he was generally a tight wad, today he was in a mood to set aside his frugality for a while. A promotion at the office was a reason for his new and sudden found improvidence. His life had been an epitome of sufferings and miseries. As his parents died in his childhood, with no close relatives around, he was raised in an orphanage. Malkhan's heart still bore the scars of his early life. Perhaps there are those lucky ones who could go about their lives not trammeled by such burdens. But for a man like him, his fate was to face the world as an orphan, chasing through long years the shadows of vanished parents. There was nothing more important for him than watching his family live a comfortable life. The best he could manage, he considered himself lucky to have come a long way into happiness from that hill. Now he had a family, a job, and above all, a roof over his head to call upon his own, albeit a small one. His fortune wheel started turning rapidly after his marriage, and he always considered his marriage to Daya a propitious affair. He wished he could buy them all the happiness, whatever his little money could buy. If only he could have all the money in the world, and he would spend all on his family. He knew the ache of poverty and that of being an orphan. Coming out here at this place was a welcome change from drab and coldness of his quarter. Nevertheless, he felt money today, wanting to splurge. He pulled his wife toward the hawker. Ravi was playing on the stairs nearby. He was too happy and ebullient. After so many days of being incarcerated by his drab life, Ravi was his childish best, carefree gambling around. Their life was far from inspiring or enviable, but they were nevertheless happy. At least it was secure and comfortable. Ruminating on this, Malkhan glanced lovingly at his son. He prayed, "God, make him rich some day, rich enough not to have such yearning, with which he spent his days and slept his dreams." In the arc of the glance, he saw a couple sitting across the forecourt. They seemed around his age. He saw their kid, around six or seven, jumping in their lap. Brooding thus, he gazed a little longer at this particular couple. Despite not wanting to look like prying, he kept on scrutinizing their family. The man was wearing a silk kurta, and his wife was dressed in faded jeans with a sequined top. Together, they looked swelled and blazed. Happiness personified to Malkhan, his heart longed and pricked. He wished, if he could belong to this class of people, educated and well-to-do, 
His recent bond feeling of affluence faded abruptly into oblivion in their comparison. Immediately he looked and felt pitiable, enough to spoil his evening, which he so far was enjoying. Nilesh, the man with silk kurta, was editor-in-chief for a weekly magazine and his wife Tanya an interior designer. Their son Mehul came 10 years after their marriage. Nilesh did his bachelor's in journalism from the St. Xavier Institute of Communication. He was popular, suave and charming and Tanya was vivacious, beautiful and confident. They met in the second year and they immediately clicked. Together they dated for two beautiful years before time knots and even after getting married, lived like lovebirds. Both wanted to enjoy themselves before raising kids and family. And when they both had achieved professionally and personally what they wanted, they decided to move on by having a kid in their life. Nilesh was well paid in a well secured job and was pursuing the kind of work that he loved to do. Tanya too had established herself as an interior designer with a good reputation. Together they were living illustriously and viable life until the last few days. Nilesh had reported a news article just before the last municipal elections exposing the dubious ministrations of a local politician Kamgoon in a scam that involved laundering and swindling the money allocated for the development of the constituency. This irked the politician beyond comprehension who called Nilesh to threaten him with the consequences. if he did not withdraw his story with an apology having been a forthright and ardent reporter his entire career he didn't take the bait and rather refused the politician up front the myth politico who eared this to one of his aides who happened to be an underworld don of mumbai since then twice nilesh's home had been stone pelted and once tanya precariously chased while returning from her office Once a maid who took their son to a play school reported some suspicious looking men lurking outside the school inquiring about her their son the police had shown their helplessness in taking any action without a shred of strong culpable evidence as a result the family was forced to live under trepidation and in cringing anticipation of further assaults he remembered the moment when he had discussed this case with tanya before reporting it Now this is what I call reporting. It takes a man as stalwart and gritty to unearth such a story. She exulted. Nothing made Nilesh prouder than a genuine admiration from Tanya. You think so? Yes, I had worked day in day out for the last few weeks and took some calculated risk and spent quite a lot to collect the facts. Nilesh said, puffed up as a smug. He had completely missed the subtle undertone of satire in her voice. That was something which she didn't do often. and something which he didn't understand often soon she made it overt though this is a good scoop you should think twice before publishing it nilesh was taken aback at the way the conversation changed its course he said but tanya tanya interrupted him just think of the implications it could have on our lives if this politician is miffed which obviously he would be with the elections looming large nilesh had in his insolence deliberately avoided this angle He was rather convinced of this story getting a standing ovation in the echelons of media. Maybe so much as bagging you the best scoop of the year award, she said cynically. Despite Tanya's protests, first subtle, then overt, and later in a threatening pitch, he went ahead with the project. Now looking retrospectively, he thought he should have listened to Tanya. He had everything. 
riches, family, work and reputation. Everything which a man can dream of. Everything he had was at stake now. To unburden his mind from self-loathing, he turned his head away. To his right, he saw towards entrance of the gateway of India a man in a white Jawahar jacket. He pretty much resembled that politician to him, the one he had offended. He froze out of terror. Sitting here in the open without a cover or a place to hide or run away, he was like a sitting duck. The thought of getting killed, three of them together in an encounter flashed in his mind for a second. He thought that God couldn't be so unreasonable. He was only doing his duty and that too truthfully. He elbowed Tanya to draw her attention to this man. By this time, the man had come closer to Nilesh. The man was recognized by Nilesh. He was Harish Patil, MLA for their constituency, Borivali. But Nilesh could not conceal the terror on his face from Tanya. In a flash, Tanya's expression was like, See what I told you. But they both recovered soon enough before they could actually speak their hearts out to each other. Nilesh was surprised to see Harish Patil at a place as public like this one. Alone, sans his clout or cronies, it seemed odd for a politician of his stature. Tanya nudged Nilesh and in a whisper asked him, Why can't we take help from Harish? After all, he represents us, common people. We voted him to power. This is just a matter of a phone call for him, to set our deplorable lives on right track again. Nilesh had once ignored Tanya's advice and faced the consequence. So now he took her seriously. Harish walked past him, perched on the long stairs. Place or time did not seem conducive to Nilesh for discussing personal problems with him and so he decided to meet him the next day in his office. Perhaps he would help him out of this pitiable abyss. With all the power and prominence, Harish's stature loomed too large over him and he appeared too timid pitted against Harish. Nilesh once again glanced where Harish had gone. But he could only see his head from where he was sitting, low on the stairs. Harish could have declared his coming here and got this arena cleared in a matter of five minutes. Such was his power. But today he was engulfed with his nonplus. He felt extremely powerless. He found some place on stairs on one side and sat there in the reflection head hanging low. Harish Patil had been a star politician for his party from the day he joined NCP. National Congress Party. He had an excellent academic career in political science. He belonged to a different new breed of young politicians, a rare blend of education and integrity, rhetorical and committed. Moreover, as an icing on the cake, he was a good orator and could draw good crowds during his genuine voice speeches at varsity elections. A six feet three inches, hard chisel and charmingly rugged loads to top it, he soon rose the excellence of his party. His auditorship and true-heartedness turned him an unprecedented success at university elections. Twice, he was elected as Mumbai University Students' Union President. After college, he was summoned by the ruling Congress party and given a ticket from Borivali. He did not disappoint the top brass of his party and won the seat with a huge margin. On the personal front, he got married to Nayantara. Soon after, he was inducted in Congress. They had been married for 10 years now. Despite their frantic efforts, they were still a distraught, childless couple. And with all odds and logic against them, they still hoped. 
Beneath the apparently rugged looks and physique lay a tender-hearted man who yearned to become a father. All the medical consultations and visits to infertility clinics couldn't yield Nayantara a pregnancy. The more they tried, more desperate they became. For some staunch personal reason, Nayantara, from a traditional orthodox Hindu Brahmin family, didn't want surrogacy. Consequently, of late, Harish started having faces of despair and his interest and focus on party work gradually diminished. He felt too helpless, powerless in himself and started coming to this place for solace and solitude, to feel the murmur of life, to drown himself in it, even if for a while to bring ease to his perpetually burdened mind. He wouldn't trade this anonymity for anything. He looked around. So many children were flittering around their parents, rollicking, making noises gaily. It was hard to wait for something he knew might never happen. It was even harder to give up as they knew it's everything they wanted. He fantasized about all the toys which were not yet bought and all the clothes he would buy for his baby. Only if he could have one. His fate, contemptuously laughing at him in a country where babies were spewed left and right, he was denied vehemently. His roving eyes settled on a couple walking a ramp towards him and the setting sun shining on them, turned them a brilliant orange. He had never been claustrophobic before, but in that almighty swell of humanity, he felt the panic rise in his chest. The couple, coming towards him, was carrying a pram larger than regular, specially designed for two kids. He felt envious for their boastful flamboyance, proudly hoisting their twins. He felt an urge to stand and rush towards them and hold their babies but rather controlled his emotional tumult and ducked his head in despair as a couple walked past him, brushing and bruising his heart. Bhaskar and Kritika walked past Patil with their newborn twins. Bhaskar was speaking to his wife in a seemingly somber tone. It is quite good to be in the fresh air after so many days, what do you say? Yes, it is. It was quite suffocating in the hospital, Kritika said delightfully. You had been very brave to undergo all this with forbearance. Hats off for your grit, your honor. He bowed distinctly, looking in her eyes. I could not have sailed through this without you by my side. She answered in a trademark, bashful, reticent manner. And I got my courage looking at you. Couldn't have asked for a better husband. Yes, it has been a hell of a time for both of us. I still don't know whether I'll be able to cope with two babies together. I had seen my sister raise her twins. She went half crazy by the time her babies had their first birthday. I'm really freaking out. You are one hell of a stubborn woman. You will do it with ease, I'm sure. It is your faith in me, having spent a full month in neonatal ICU, nursing these teeny-weeny babies, demanding feeding 24 into 7, has cracked and broke me up a little. I think we should hire full-time domestic help. Yes. We must and we would, though I have no doubts regarding your caliber, but help at hand would be great for you. The fact remains that raising two kids together is more than twice the work. When are you joining our office? Friday, that would be the day after tomorrow. I wish I could extend my leaves, but then we might require leaves later on, so I just don't want to exhaust them right now. Yes, you are right. We might be needing more than the stipulated annual leaves. And as such, money would definitely come handy for these kids. 
she said, looking longingly at them. Her eyes quivered and voice trembled. But she turned her eyes away from him in the nick of the time and saved herself the embarrassment of being quandary. She had already exhausted her quota of tears and was saving them for a later time when she would be needing them most. She could not appear to be weak, for herself as well as for Bhaskar. It took just a few seconds to compose herself. She was quite used to recovering quickly by now. Do you think we should buy medical insurance? Yes, we can, but it's not going to help much. We can claim only after a long period of two years and we don't know if we can wait that long. And then, these people have a lot of fine print when people turn to them for claims. Besides, we aren't sure if we have that much time with us. We would still be there after two years. It won't be the end of time. We can use it later on as well. Do not be so pessimistic, honey. He just looked at her admiringly. She was really the right balance of being gallant and tender. She was the epitome of strength for him. He smiled mirthlessly and looked away from her face. On the nearby parapet, he saw a boy jumping and waving to his mother with a red balloon in one of his hands. His mother glanced lovingly at him and opened her mouth wide for a big golgappa. His heart winced. He recalled the moment when his doctor entered their room to tell them about their kids before being discharged and he felt utterly despaired. It was a brief, just one-line report, same for both the twins, it read, Phenylketonuria, PKU, positive. He wished he could change one word in his life, one word in that fateful one moment which spelled doom for him and his wife. He wished one thing to be negative among so many positives in his life.